I don't know if you realised, but Friday past was an important day in the calendar. It's called Quitter's Day. Many people take this time and this opportunity at the start of a new year to make New Year's resolutions. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up and embarrass you who made the resolutions, but many people make New Year's resolutions to make a change in their lives. In Ireland, the most, the most common things that people make resolutions about are usually about things like losing weight, getting fit, spending less money, or spending more time with family and friends. And of course, these are good things to aim for. And some people do see these things making some kinds of change in their lives. But unfortunately, many people don't. Maybe as high as 92% of people who make New Year's resolutions don't keep them right throughout the year. 92%. And Strava, which is an app that you can get for running, Strava claimed that the day in which most people using their running app, give up on their New Year's resolutions is the second Friday of January. And they call it Quitter's Day. So if you're still going strong on your New Year's resolutions today, then well done, you're doing much better than lots of people. So keep on going. But this does illustrate how it's so much easier to start something than it is to keep going to the end. We can have all the good intentions in the world, but living it out is really tough. That's true in our Christian lives as well. A couple of weeks ago, we saw from the start of Paul's letter to the Philippians that if we've trusted in Jesus, then we are sinners saved by grace. We are saints who belong to God and we're servants who are called to live wholeheartedly for Christ. But living that out, that is difficult. We need help to live out who we already are. Not just for a few months, but for the whole of our lives. And so Paul wrote to this church in Philippi to provide this help. And he did this, first of all, by sharing how he was serving through prayer. Not only was this a good example for the Christians in Philippi to follow, but this was also an encouragement that God was at work in their lives. And also their reassurance That although they might feel like giving up, they could rest on the fact that God never would. With God, with our Heavenly Father, there is no quitters day. So we're going to read from Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to break into verse 3 and read down to verse 11. And Roz is going to come and she's going to read it to us uh, this morning. Thank you, Roz. I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I 
pray with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day until now, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have it in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Thank you very much, Ros. If anyone could be excused for feeling like giving up, then surely the Apostle Paul would. Since trusting in Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul had tirelessly served the Lord for 30 years. Early on, he shared the gospel in Damascus, in Jerusalem, and in Antioch. Then over a period of 10 years or so, in an age when travel was exceptionally difficult and dangerous, he covered thousands of miles to tell people about Jesus. Despite persecution, imprisonment, beatings, floggings, even stoning, Paul and his team saw many people come to faith in Jesus. People established in their discipleship and brought into churches which he saw planted in many of these towns. But then Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. After two years, he was transferred to Rome via a shipwreck on the coast of Malta. But even that didn't stop him from serving his Lord. He still shared the gospel in Rome with as many people as he could. And he wrote letters of encouragement to the churches that he'd seen planted and to individuals. And many scholars think that this letter that we're reading through now to the Philippians was written at that time from Rome around 61 to 63 AD. But throughout all of that time, Paul served in another really important way. He faithfully prayed for people. If you see in verse 4 of our reading, in all my prayers for all of you. This was a characteristic of Paul's ministry. There was a balance between his active service and coming before the Lord and praying for people and waiting on Him. Now, of course, we're all different in terms of personalities and experiences and abilities and gifting. And so we have loads of different ways that we can serve Christ. We can give generously, listen carefully, help practically, advise biblically, encourage compassionately. And of course, we can share the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We can share that passionately with others. But sometimes we can feel hampered 
in what we can do for the Lord. Maybe through ill health, or reduced mobility, or lack of time, or lack of resources. Like Paul in prison, we feel that we're not able to do all that we used to, or all that we would like to do. But we can serve the Lord in this way as he did. We can pray. Paul wrote to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6. He said, be be alert. And always keep on praying for all the saints. Both individually and corporately, we are called to be people who faithfully pray for each other for our families, for our communities, for our country, for our world. And this ministry of prayer, this service of prayer, it's not a second class service. It's not kind of a lesser role for those who are not good enough or not healthy enough or not free enough to do other really important stuff in God's kingdom. It's not like that at all. The church at Philippi was planted at a prayer meeting. On the Sabbath day, we, that's Paul and his team, went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. That's where Lydia came to know the Lord. And later, Paul was imprisoned in Philippi because of an incident that occurred when we were going to the place of prayer. And then that prison in Philippi was rocked to its very foundations when Paul, when about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Prayer is a primary service. It's a priority in our Christian lives. Because through it, we connect with the power of God. After all, Jesus said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from our connection to Christ, we can't do anything that's of value, that's of eternal worth. Anyway, serving in prayer is following in the footsteps of Jesus. Because even today, he is also interceding for us as Romans 8:34 tells us. So are we willing? Are we willing to serve the Lord through praying faithfully? But Paul, he didn't only pray faithfully. He also prayed with gratitude. Do you see that in verse 3? I thank my God every time I remember you. When Paul prayed for this church, He was incredibly grateful for them. And he told them why. Verse 4. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. I've heard some people give the impression that Paul loved serving Christ on his own. He was one of those kind of individuals who were just go for it on his own. Doesn't need anybody else. Just a, a lone ranger kind of guy. But that's just not true. 
Paul loved working as part of a team. When you read through the book of Acts, it's Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Silas. Paul and Timothy. Paul and Luke. Or Paul and this church. Paul was in partnership with the people in this church. In the gospel. He says in chapter 4, there were people in Philippi who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. They'd worked together. They'd served side by side. Then others in this church, they'd financially supported him in his ministry. You sent me aid again and again when I was in need, it says in chapter 4, verse 16. And then they had Epaphroditus, whom you sent to take care of my needs, Paul says in chapter 2. This guy who we'll get to know in a little bit later on as we go through this series, who ministered to Paul in prison. So they'd served with him. They had given to him. They had ministered to him in, in practical ways. But they'd also prayed for him. It says in chapter 1, verse 19, through your prayers. He knew that they were praying for him. Paul was rejoicing that through all these different kinds of ways, this church had partnered with him in sharing the gospel. They were in this together. They were serving side by side. And this meant so much to Paul, especially because they had persevered in this. Paul had been hurt so many times in his life for people who had started with him and then given up on him, who'd walked away, who'd deserted him, who'd criticized him, who had abandoned him. But this church in Philippi, they'd faithfully served with Paul from the first day until now. They'd persevered in their partnership with him. Now for us too, gratitude is a crucial part of our prayer life. Later in this letter, Paul will encourage the Philippians, even when they're anxious and they're praying for things that are really important in their lives, to pray with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving should always be a part. Even when we're going through difficult times in our lives, Paul encourages us to make sure that thanksgiving is a core part of our prayer life. That's because I think it is gratitude changes our perspective on things. It reminds us of God's goodness. It fills our heart with joy. It deepens our faith. So I wonder who are you grateful for today? Who do you want to thank God for today? Who has God placed into your life to help you and to serve Christ each day? Who are those who you've worked in partnership with? Who have persevered with you? In good times and bad. Let's make sure we thank God for them today. Paul prayed with faithfulness. And Paul prayed with gratitude. 
But not just gratitude for what God had done through these believers in the past. But he also prayed with confidence in what God was going to do through them in the future. This incredible verse, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When Paul left this church after visiting them and planting it, this church was filled with really new believers. People who just recently trusted in Jesus. He visited them once since then. But on the whole, they'd been there. He had not been there to support them and encourage them and help them. And he expected to be martyred any day now. And he knew that this church faced huge challenges as a group of believers. Some of these challenges were going to come from outside of this fellowship. Paul, he'd been flogged and and thrown into prison in Philippi. And he said to them, you are going through the same struggle you saw I had. Persecution was a very real reality for the Christians in this church. But they didn't just face problems from coming from outside their fellowship. They also faced challenges from within their fellowship. They had problems of infighting and disagreements. In many ways, this church looked anything but strong. They were young. They were under threat. And they were divided. So how could Paul be so confident that the transformation in these Christians would continue and that it would be completed when Christ would come back again? How could he be so sure that they wouldn't give up, that they wouldn't quit, that they wouldn't just walk away and that would be the end of it all? Well, it's because Paul's confidence was in God. Not in the Philippians, not in himself, but it was in God. He was confident that it was God who'd begun this good work of transformation in their lives. And he was confident that it was God who would continue this work. And he was confident that it was God who would complete it. And this is the wonderful security that we have as believers in Jesus. Jesus does not partially save anyone. Together, he doesn't partially save anyone. If we have put our faith in him and his sacrificial death on the cross, then he will save us completely. Start to finish. Jesus said, I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Often I think we feel very weak and vulnerable as believers, don't we? And in some ways there's a good sense of that. That we, are, we realize how frail we are. As arrogance and self-confidence 
is a really dangerous thing. As Paul warned in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. We need to face up to our weakness. And we need to run from temptation and accept help from others and depend on Christ. But although God wants us to be aware of our weakness and our limitations and our vulnerability, He doesn't want us to live in fear and insecurity. Because that would paralyze us in our service for Christ. If Paul had been looking at this church from a human point of view, then he would never have left it to go and share the gospel elsewhere. He'd have been terrified that they would just fall apart and wander away and all his work would have gone to nothing. So yes, we need to pray for God's help in our lives, but we can do this with confidence. Not in ourselves, or our strength, or our commitment. But confidence in Him who is able to keep you from falling. And to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. It's this confidence in God that will free us to serve the Lord with commitment and passion and sacrifice. And it's this confidence that will encourage us to pray more consistently for others because we realize that salvation is God's work from start to finish. So we need to depend more on God to save and God to keep those who love. And it's this confidence that will help us to know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. That whatever is happening in our lives today, if we are in Christ, that God has promised that He is carrying out His good work in us. That He who began a good work in you will carry it on completion until the day of Christ Jesus. But Paul didn't just pray for this church out of faithfulness or gratitude or confidence. He also prayed for them because he loved them. See this in verse 7? It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Paul really loved this church. And it wasn't just a kind of human emotion. It wasn't just because they were good guys and he just had a kind of friendship connection with them. He loved them with the affection of Christ Jesus. It was the love of Christ that supernaturally connected him with this church. And this is the unique connection that we have with all of our fellow believers. As some of you know, five of us from church were at the Irish Preachers Conference this week. We were in class and and learning and trying to get better at this. And there were loads of, of other people there that we never met before. And yet as we chatted and worshipped and learned and prayed together, there was a deep connection 
Because we were brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's this connection that should motivate us to keep on praying for each other. This church was in Paul's prayers because, first of all, this was in Paul's heart. But human emotion and friendship is not strong enough to do this in our lives, to hold us together. Sooner or later, if we're in church, somebody is going to offend us. Somebody's going to rub us up the wrong way. Somebody's going to just annoy us. We might not feel as close to somebody as we thought we would. Or we just get tired of things. Only God's love will motivate us to keep on praying, keep on partnering. Keep on serving. Keep on connected together. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's Christ's love that compels us. So if it's Christ's love that will compel us to be connected and to live and to serve as God has called us to, then it's not surprising that a key part of Paul's prayer was that this church would grow in love. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Verse 9. Growing in love is at the real heart of what it means to grow as a Christian. Because without real love, then what we do and what we say, what we accomplish is empty. It's worthless. It's harmful. But this love that we need is not just kind of some warm, fuzzy feeling where we look out to each other and say, ah, aren't they lovely? Not that kind of thing. We need a love that's centered on the insight, the knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he calls us to do. It's a love that is increasingly all about loving each other as I have loved you, as Jesus said in John 50. But just finally, Paul had a clear purpose in why he prayed for all of this, for these believers. Look at verse 10. He prayed so that you may be able to discern what is best. Paul didn't just want these, these Christians in Philippi to just be okay just to get by, just to survive. He wanted them to choose, to be able to choose the best life. This is the life that Jesus went to the cross to give us. He said in John chapter 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. But what does this best life look like? What does this life to the full look like? Well, in the Bible, it's more about our character than it is about our circumstances. It's not really about what's happening around us. It's it's who we are inside. It's about living, Philippians chapter 1 verse 10, pure and blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. 
That's what a, the life to the full is like. That's what the best life looks like. It's about living clean and unblemished lives before a holy God. But this is not something that we can do in ourselves. It's not a life of self-righteousness. Rather, it's a life that's filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So the best life is about remaining in Christ. It's about experiencing His life. It's about having His Spirit's power within us. It's about becoming more and more like Him. In every aspect of our lives. We often imagine the best life being something like relaxing. Doing what we want. Just being focused on ourselves. Having everything that we need. But this is so far from the truth. It's those who lose their lives for Christ who will actually save us. It's those who live as servants of Christ who live that life to the full. Who will experience the love and the fulfillment and the commitment and the joy and the contentment that Paul wrote about in this letter. This is the life that God is calling us to. This is the best life. But the reason why Paul wanted the the Christians in Philippi especially to live that It was so that their lives, verse 11, would be to the glory and praise of God. This is the heart of Paul's servant attitude. His focus was not the happiness of these Philippians. Even although he knew that increasing commitment to Christ would lead them to more and more joy in their lives. Neither was his focus the the success of his ministry, even although he did want to be able to rejoice in the fruit of all that he'd done. His ultimate goal, rather, was that God would be glorified and God would be praised. So this is why Paul did not quit, like we are so often tempted to do with our New Year's resolutions. He was still as focused on serving the Lord with the same passion and eagerness and determination as ever because his desire was to please the Lord. His desire was to honour the one who loved him and who gave himself to the cross for him. So let's ask God to give us the same commitment in our lives. Let's ask God to help us to serve the one who came to serve us. And whatever else we do, let's do that through praying with faithfulness, with gratitude, with confidence, with love, and with purpose. To the glory and praise of our God. Let's pray.